This is Reconsidering, the podcast about life and finding ways to make it more satisfying. I'm Aaron Walter. I'm Bob Baxley. I'm Meredith Black. Living in isolation for two years without the support of community clarified for many of us just how nourishing and essential relationships are to us. Now that we're starting to re-enter the world, how might we be more intentional about cultivating community? Tina Roth-Eisenberg, or Swiss Miss, as she's known to her hundreds of thousands of followers on the web, has thought very deeply about this subject. She's the founder of Creative Mornings, a global community in 200 cities and 60 countries that welcomes thousands of people each month to inspiring events. She's also a master at bringing small groups together for support. And as you'll hear in this episode, she's pretty clever at building new friendships too. Join Bob Baxley, Meredith Black, and me, Aaron Walter, for a very special live recording of Reconsidering, recorded in New York City at the Leading Design Conference, where we spoke with Tina Roth-Eisenberg. Hey, welcome to a very special live recording of Reconsidering, a podcast about life and how to do it better. I'm Aaron Walter. I'm Bob Baxley. And I'm Meredith Black. If you haven't discovered Reconsidering already, you can check it out at reconsidering.org, see some of our past episodes, and subscribe and check out the new season, which actually launched yesterday. Lots of new shows coming. Yeah, and just wanted a quick shout out to Thank Indeed Design, who is sponsoring this podcast episode today. Yeah, Indeed.Design, a lot of great management and leadership articles there. A few of the titles that I picked out that I thought were pretty interesting, True Stories of Overcoming Self-Doubt and UX, Designing for Dev Power, Building an Accessibility Library. So a lot of terrific articles. Highly encourage you to go check it out, Indeed.Design. So we should also share that we are here at Leading Design as a conference here in New York City. For many of us, it's the first time being back together as regular human beings in person. We're not on Zoom, we're not in boxes, and that feels pretty amazing. For me personally, it was my first trip on an airplane since 2020, so it feels like a big milestone that we have here today. And we're super excited because today we're joined by a very special guest, a good friend of mine, someone I've known for a long time, Ms. Tina Roth-Eisenberg. So instead of introducing Tina, what we normally do on the show is we ask our guests to introduce themselves. How would you introduce yourself at a party to people that you meet? This party, the best party. Hi, everybody. And thank you, Aaron, for having me. My name is Tina Roth-Eisenberg. I'm a Swiss-born human gatherer. Like, I love to gather humans. That's what I care about. That's my currency. I'm also a trained designer which I think reflects in a lot of the things I do. And I'm a heart-centered person, I would say. Those three things, I would say. Fantastic. So we usually start our shows with a special thing that I'm going to pass over to Bob, and, and he'll introduce you to it. Yeah, so we start with this thing we call the lightning round. It's a series of 11 questions, sort of A or B. Do you like one or two better? You can pass, but we hope you don't. Uh, you can choose both, but we hope you don't. They start off easy. They get a little bit trickier as we go along. I'm ready. You ready to play? Okay, here we go. Morning or evening? I started a company called Creative Mornings. <laughs> <laughs> uh, home or office? It depends for what. Uh, home? Okay, pen or pencil? Pen. Drawing or photograph? Drawing. Monochrome or color? Color. Helvetica or Futura? Helvetica. That's quick. Inspiration or persistence? Inspiration. Confidence or humility? Humility. Planned or spontaneous? Spontaneous. 
money or fame? Well, that's a hard one. Fame? Constrained or unbounded? Unbounded. Nice. Thanks for playing. That was fun. So Tina, we're very curious about your origin stories. So you grew up in Switzerland, hence your moniker Swiss Miss. And people don't know about Swiss Miss, your blog, your design blog. They should definitely check that out. Just one of the many things that you've been involved in, including Tatley, which is a temporary tattoo company that has a lot of creative spirit and it's super fun. Creative Mornings, which is a massive global organization in how many cities? 224 in 67 countries. That's incredible. So it's a morning creative event that brings people together around key themes and amazing wisdom that's shared at these events. So you've been involved in a lot of things, and I'm kind of intentionally editing because it is a long list. But to take us back to your origin story, starting in Switzerland, it's a very different place than where we are today. We're in New York. It's a very entrepreneurial place. What was it like growing up in Switzerland, and how did that shape who you are today? Yeah, so I grew up in the Swiss Alps on the Swiss countryside in a town with 2,000 people. I literally had cows outside my door. And I grew up with two entrepreneurial parents. My mom, which, I, you know, at the time as a kid, you don't realize, like my mom was a total badass. She ran a giant fashion store with 30 employees. My dad built businesses when I was a kid. I feel so grateful that I sort of got a glimpse of what it means to live a courageous, creative life and sort of create your own life through business and through your values. So that's something that my parents definitely passed on to me and I'm super grateful for. And at the same time, I grew up in a very protective environment. I mean, Swiss countryside, it doesn't get more protected than that and just cozy and fresh air. And I would ski every night in the winter. I had a ski lift in front of my door growing up and I would go night skiing. I mean, it's just insane. Like every time I, I, I race kids now in the city here in New York, and whenever we go back in the summer, my kids are really old enough now to just sort of see and go like, you grew up like this because it's still the same. And yet I outgrew it. I mean, literally, it's actually very funny to play some from the area. Appenzell is known for very short people. And I'm 5'10". <laughs> so when people know, like when they ask me, where are you from? And I say from Appenzell, they go like, that's weird. And I was like, yeah, I literally outgrew my home. And we were renting this house again this summer. It's an old farmhouse. I can literally not stand straight in it uh, because the ceilings are so low. And it's such, a, it's such a visual representation of how I have outgrown where I grew up. And once I arrived in New York in 1999, I remember walking down Broadway and everyone walked as fast as me. Mm. That was incredible. It sounds like you kind of knew... You got a lot of what you needed from Switzerland. You got some inspiration, some modeling from your parents and that entrepreneurial possibility. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like you also recognize that Switzerland wasn't everything that you needed. And an obvious question is, why didn't you just stay in Switzerland? Like, go to Geneva, mm -hmm. go to Zurich. I did go and, to Geneva. And, 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 <laughs> and start businesses there. Like, why come to New York to, to be entrepreneurial? You know, it's actually funny because I pitched my parents when I graduated with 20, that I wanted to go to Parsons in New York for a year and figure out if this, you know, if the graphic design path is my path and I wanted to learn English and I've always dreamt of going to New York and my parents were like shutting that down. You know, I get it, going to New York, whatever. But then I went to Geneva. Like I said, if you want to go to art school, you have to go to art school in Switzerland. So I picked the art school the furthest away. But I mean, anyone who knows how tiny Switzerland is, is like, you cross the country in three and a half hours. But anyway, I went to Geneva. And then I studied in Munich. And then when I was done in 1999, 
I told him, I am going to New York now. I was old enough just to make a statement at that point. I saved money. And I knew that Switzerland was too small for me. My eyes were really opened when I arrived in New York. And literally within a few days, I had multiple experiences that showed me that I was literally throttling myself my entire life in Switzerland. What were those experiences? Like, what is so memorable that you take with you now? I mean, I remember going out with some coworkers and meeting people in a bar. Like, we were just all hanging out and them being so welcoming. And I would share some ideas I had around projects. And all I heard in Switzerland was like, what if it's not going to work? And what are people going to think? And that's not going to... There was like a lot of don't stick out, don't be too loud, that's not going to work, thinking, and, you know, it is what it is. But then I hear I'm in New York, I just arrived, these people don't even know me. And they lean in and go like, that's cool, hey, I know someone who could help you, and they will connect me to someone that could possibly help me. And I would say, like, well, wait, you don't even know me, what if I embarrass you? Because that's how the Swiss would think, like, you know, I'm not going to put myself out there and introduce you to someone in case, you know. Anyway, so the spirit of cheering you on in New York City the spirit of helping other people realize their dreams, that to me was like rocket fuel. I realized all of a sudden I could talk as fast, I could have as many ideas as I want, and people are into it. Did you think about other U.S. cities or was it just, was there something specific about New York? Because there's lots of other big cities you could have gone to that are also exciting. I, I mean, once I arrived here, I wasn't even considering going anywhere else. You know, I am a true believer, I believe in past lives, that there's places you travel to and there is a resonance with that place that you just cannot explain that is so deep. And that's what I had with New York City. And I really felt like I was home. And so that, that connecting experience you just talked about at the beginning, like is that, because now you're like the kind of the ultimate connector, right? With Creative Mornings, you're, and you kind of describe that and you, know, you describe that as your superpower and you kind of talk about that in your origin story and your intro. You know, was that who you were at your core before you got here? Or was that sort of, a result of that experience you had right at the beginning in New York? No, I mean, that was already part of who I was. Like the high school I went to in Switzerland was this idyllic, like your minds would blow if you saw photos of like on the Swiss countryside, these old buildings, they started in 1800. It's like this little village and it's just like incredible. And I found an outlet for my energy and my ideas. And I ran the student council and I ran the events and our newspapers and I just... I finally had an outlet. And I mean, that was the beginning. I basically, that was the test run of what it would be like to run a global volunteer organization in a small scale. And already there, I was the person that tried to connect people all the time, but on a much smaller scale, obviously. But you were a boss before you were a boss. No, I wasn't a boss. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't it funny when you look back in your life and you sort of see the test runs of the things you do? But actually, this reminds me of Tangent, but I think you're going to think this is adorable. <laughs> I just recently remembered this, and it so shows who I was to the core early on. When I was eight years old, I made a poster, a giant poster that I hung in the neighborhood there was this neighborhood garage where everyone came at the evening and you would park their car. So I knew everyone would drive in there and see this. And I made this giant poster and I taped it up there and it said, do you want to join my fan club? <laughs> <laughs> and then some of the neighbors came up to me. He's like, this is really fun. What is it? What are we fans of? And I remember <laughs> literally saying, that's not the point. 
we're just fans. Like we're enthusiastic <laughs> about something. And I feel like that is such a testament to how I operate in the world at this point. What was the origin story for Creative Mornings? Because it's huge now, but as we were joking earlier, nobody starts a huge organization, right? They start something small and there must have been something. Like what's just the origin story of that? Well, it's literally the organization I wish existed when I moved here. Because I moved here... I landed this design job within literally like 16 hours of arriving, which was incredible. But it was in a design studio of five people, and it was hard to meet people. And I remember sitting at home, and I made a horrible salary. I could literally not afford the AIG events and all of the events that were happening. And I'm like, there has to be a way for me to meet my people. So that was like brewing that desire. And every now and then, like for years, and I worked as a designer, and I would go to these events, and I remember going to information architects events, or I would go to photographer events, and I'm like, what is it with these silly silos? We're all believing in a big creative mission in our life. And it's interesting how over the years, sort of this desire for where are my people? Why is it not easy to meet them? Why are we going to these really expensive conferences that most people can't afford? Sort of the combination of all of these things was when I eventually just started prototyping a really simple, accessible morning breakfast series. And I feel like the beauty of being a designer and the concept of prototyping is such a gift. Sort of the lightness around, let me just try this. Like, let me create a framework that might work and then let's prototype away. That didn't work. Let's change that. I see this so often that if you don't have this designer mindset, you might go into these things with so much fear and so much mm. like this needs to be perfect. And so grateful for my design education. This episode is brought to you by Indeed Design, a resource for professional designers who do design work that matters. If you're thinking about taking the next step in your career, Indeed Design can help. Visit indeed.design for tips and tools for designers of all levels. You'll find articles to help you refresh your portfolio, kick off a new initiative, improve team culture, and much more. That's all at indeed.design. It sounds like through the career that I've been following you through is that you start with passion first and then it's kind of like everything else flows. Has that been your mantra kind of the whole way is you work on something or you build something that you want to create because it's in you and it inspires you and then you worry about the rest or is that something that's kind of come and developed over time? No, I mean, if you look at anything I started, it's because I just couldn't sleep at night because I was so excited about it. Somebody asked me once, like, if you were a superhero, what would you be? And I realized I would be Captain Enthusiasm. Because if I have <laughs> if I have one talent, it's like I can just steamroll you in a way, if I'm excited about an idea, that you don't know what's happening to yourself. You're like, she's so into this, let's follow her. I'm a bit woo. So, like, enthusiasm is actually a really, really high vibration. It's like up there with joy. And I'm a big believer, if you just show up with this high vibe of, like, this is amazing. People eventually just give you money. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. what happened with anything I've started. You got to explain what woo is, though. Woo? Like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly spiritual. Is woo-woo not a, is not a term? I don't know. Tell, what, what does woo mean to you? I believe that we create our own reality. I believe that we are the active participants of what happens in our life. Through our decisions, how we show up how we approach life. Once you start looking at 
life through that lens mm -hmm. and you you're not the victim of it but you're actually just sort of almost observing what is in front of you i believe that our outer world is actually a representation of our inner world i'm taking this podcast to a whole different level now, <laughs> i can tell i gave a talk was it three years ago now at the do lectures i called it my spiritual coming out talk because i just the way i operate in business and in real life is just very influenced by a lot of spiritual practices books i read and I feel like there's actually a shift happening in the business world where like, there's a lot of leaders who are starting to shift from their just rational approach of running businesses and into their hearts. And I am here for the revolution that is more heart-centered business leadership. I'm here for it. Yeah. So it's interesting. Like I've seen that sort of passion that you have, that enthusiasm. I've seen captain enthusiasm at play in front of audiences and stuff. And it's very inspiring. It is infectious as you've described it as well. Why not bring that to an amazing company that's already doing something? You've done something very different, which is you are a serial entrepreneur. That's the phrase that people use in, in the industry is like, you're constantly creating a new thing. Is it possible for someone like you to join a large organization to bring that sort of spirit? Or do you have to define your own career path? No, I'm sure that I have a lot of friends who are in what I call big, giant corporate blobs, and they're carving out their own little high vibe corners, and I applaud them. I'm not sure if it would be enough for me or if I had the patience for it. I really see business as something that could change society. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with Simon Sinek talks, but he talks a lot about if we are creating work environments that are so heart-centered and so safe that you actually feel replenished after a day of work and you go home and you actually don't feel depleted. You're going to be a better mom, a better dad, a better spouse, whatever it is. I just want to believe that I can have a really positive impact in the world, not just, let's say, with what Creative Mornings represents in the world, but also how I show up as an employer and a boss and the work environments I create. And I just feel like I can do it faster and really how I want it if I just start my own companies. When you're going that fast, though, even though it can be, you know, incredibly rewarding and energetic, there's also times where it can be really exhausting and you can burn out. What do you do to stay sane and stay charged and keep your glass half full? You ask me this at a great time because the word that keeps coming up in my head over and over is sabbatical. All I want is a sabbatical. But I mean, to be honest, like, you know, I run the world's largest face-to-face -face community. We couldn't meet up. Like I almost had to shut down Tatley because it was just really hard. So I feel like I've been holding it together for two years for a lot of people. And I'm at a really kind of exhausted place. But then at the same time, I had to realize that over the years, I feel like I have come up with a toolbox. I call it a toolkit of how not to completely deplete myself. And I know it's the typical things, like it's just going for walks, it's meditation. It's like just really making sure, like I call it, like at all times paying attention to how I feel. And that has been a game changer. Like when I sense my energy tanking, I become super selfish and I need to either putter with my plants or I need to cuddle with my dog or, and again, this is where the spirituality comes in. I'm like how you're feeling is creating the world around you. So I feel like I've created a toolkit over the years of just knowing when to step in and just take care of myself. And I'm going to say, getting a dog, I want to just give like a shout out to all the dog people <laughs> who got this before me, but I adopted a dog five months ago. And it is the most heart-opening, grounding life shift that I could have ever experienced. So 
you're thinking about rescuing a dog, please go do it. You're on the right podcast. You are on the right podcast. <laughs> we all have dogs and we're all very obsessed. So, Do you feel a lot of, I mean, you run this gigantic organization. You've got, I think, half a million followers on Twitter. There's a lot of people looking to you for enthusiasm and inspiration. Like, does that weigh on you? No, I, f- I find that it's an absolute honor and I actually have a good story there. So you know how some runners say they need their daily run? That has unfortunately never happened to me. I wish that would happen to me. But I experienced the same thing with meditation. And But then the pandemic hit, and I must say, I was really at my limits for a while. And I noticed how like my daily meditation, I couldn't drop in. I couldn't do it. And then old Tina would have beat myself up and getting really panicky. And then I was just really gentle with myself. I was like, okay, you can't do this right now. So what else can you do? That is helping you, as I call, like just rising my vibes a bit and like making me like just feel happier. And I started what I call Operation Hacking My Instagram Algorithm of the Stories. I said, I am going to hack this algorithm to the point where it only serves me happy, happy, happy stories. Like stuff that I was like good news stories or just stuff that's in the heart or fluffy little animals or... And I managed. If I could bottle up my algorithm and sell it, I would be rich because I started sharing these Instagram stories like every day. And when I would miss a day, it still happens now, when I miss a day or two, there's people who literally email me or DM me kind of like, where is it? I need, like, like they wake up, but they're like, I need my dopamine hit. That to me is like, what a privilege is that? That I can be a curator of happy boosts for people out in the world. Well, it's an interesting cycle you described there because a couple minutes ago you said that your outer reality is a reflection of your inner reality. And now what you're kind of describing is that you've crafted an outer reality in a highly malleable environment in order to build your inner reality. So you've kind of created this interesting feedback loop there. But I think that's what our life is. Like I feel like once you start realizing that you are actually getting a feedback loop of what you're putting out into the world. I mean, just like a really simple thing. Two days ago, I had lunch with someone I haven't seen in two years, and we talked about Judy, who's sitting in the audience. I've never met Judy. Judy is here today. To me, those are little breadcrumbs of, like, the universe. I call this the universe is cheering me on. Like, it just gives me these little, like, okay, go, 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 go. You're on the right path, so. And for listeners, this is Judy Wirt. They may have heard of before, but not only is Judy here, Judy was sitting in the chair that you're sitting, and she warmed that chair for you. (laughs) That's pretty amazing. So uh, we've talked a bit about Creative Mornings, but one thing that's really fascinating to me and very inspirational to me is how you're very intentional about cultivating community. And community is something that you've thought very deeply about, how to build community, and you've done it on a small scale with your co-working space, friends work here, and then on a massive scale with Creative Mornings. Could you share with us like how these different community sizes give you energy or what they do for you? And then walk us through like how might we start to cultivate community for ourselves? Oh my God, this is my favorite topic. How much time do you have? Well, all day. All day. <laughs> yeah. So I think community building is in all of us. Just a lot of us don't think about it. But just to break it down before I go into the more giant volunteer organization or even my co-working space, which might for a lot of people be too abstract because who's going to start a co-working space? So who's going to start a global volunteer organization? But I always like to break it down in a really accessible way. Six years ago, I had a very big life change. I separated from my husband and I moved into a new apartment. And I remember the magnitude of this decision hitting me when I was like, you know, the first night I was standing in, 
in the window of this brownstone. I'm on a really pretty street in Fort Greene in Brooklyn. And I stood there and I was like, oh, wow, now you're a single mom with a five and a nine-year-old and you don't know anyone here. I didn't know any, like nobody. And I was like, Tina, you got to be really intentional about building community right here. And just the sheer fact of me so intentionally saying, okay, I need to build community here, sort of put my radar up, like who are my neighbors? Who can I meet? How can you sort of build this neighborhood feeling? Like how do you show up with your neighbors? Like how do you introduce yourself? Like what's the energy you put out? And what has happened, and there's actually a, a beautiful story. So I'm standing there and I'm looking across the street and there's this beautiful brownstone. And I see, I'm obsessed with design and furniture and art. And I, sort of what I could see was a little creepy, but I was like, I love the art. I love the furniture. I want to be friends with them, right? These people have good taste. They have good taste. And I sort of blurted it out to my daughter. And then about an hour later, my daughter is at the window. She looks out and she goes, oh my God, mom, look, look, look. They have kids in our age. And I run over, it's like, even better. And then I said to my daughter, our future friends. So it's just like, I put it out there. And then the funny thing was, this was in November. And I was like, what is there? And I really literally started Googling, like, what do you do? Can you just go up and ring the doorbell with a pie? Or what do you do? Like, can you accelerate this process? But it was cold and it was dark and nothing happened. And then in the spring, I remember I came home and I put my bag down and I sort of see outside and they're sitting on the stoop. And you need to know, I've been asking at the co-working space over lunch, is there something I can do? Do, do neighbors introduce themselves? Is it creepy? Can, like, so people were invested. They would ask me, what's the status of your future friend? <laughs> <laughs> and then they were sitting on the stoop and I grabbed a glass of wine and a book and I kept telling myself, be cool, be cool, be cool. <laughs> so I went on the stoop, I sat down, I opened my book, like sort of pretended to be reading for a good 15 minutes. And then at one point I realized they're looking over and I sort of looked up, I was like, hey. And I walked over. And of course, I'm way too honest about like half an hour with them sitting on the stoop. I completely confessed. Like I've been scheming this for months. I want to be your friends. And we're really good friends now. And I live my best Sesame Street life. We have curated now these stoop sessions with like multiple stoops. We sit outside all the time. I mean, if you looked at my Instagram, it's literally like it's Sesame Street. But I do think like you need to be intentional about it. You need to make an effort. And all it takes is just inviting someone to sit with you on the stoop or invite someone for dinner or like it can be really simple and make a brunch or whatever it is, have a potluck. People are inherently lonely. People want to be seen and invited. I always tell my children, don't wait for the community to exist that you want to be part of. Create it. Like my daughter is really into reading. And I saw this thing about a silent book club where you just get together and read. And she was fascinated by it. And I said, why don't you start one? And she hasn't done it, but I remember her looking at me going, oh, I could do that. And I feel like that's sort of a mindset shift. People feel like they need permission mm -hmm. to do that, but you don't. People want to be invited to things. That's true. I'm an extrovert as well. So I feel like that. But how do you, how do you talk to introverts about that who it's not in their nature, it's very hard for people to go out and ask, hey, do you want to go have a drink? Or if I say something, it might be the incorrect thing to say, or you might think I'm weird. Like, I'm just going to say real quick as the introvert in the crowd, it's not that it's hard. You just often don't think to do it. Yeah, It's not like it's painful. It's, it just doesn't come to mind. So you have to get super intentional yeah. about it. But I, I know introverts who have created their own pockets of community. 
and I'm not saying everybody has to go out and create community, but I just think create a community you want to be part of or be intentional about. And it can be as simple as creating a little lunch group, you know, like, I don't know. There's so many small things you can do that are so fun. Just dial it up a tiny bit. Have a theme for a lunch at work. Have people give a five-minute presentation. It's like the lower expectations too, right? It doesn't have to be this big, grandiose party or big event. It can be these small, sentimental type interactions that can actually go a lot Mm -hmm. further. Yeah, it's that, it's that prototyping thing, right? Yeah. Just like lower the stakes. Also, I read some of your other interviews and one of the themes that came through and that I really loved was that complaining was just a waste of time and that the best way to complain was to go create something you really wanted. You know, and that's something I hear in a lot of your comments yeah. as well. It's like, go create the community you want to be a part of. Yeah, I, I grew up in Switzerland and then I lived in Germany and I was just like, the amount of complaining that's happening there is so insane. <laughs> well, thank goodness we don't do that here. <laughs> I honestly am not surrounded by a lot of complainers. Maybe you should hang out in Silicon Valley more. I don't know. <laughs> Another thing that you've talked about in some of your other interviews is confidence is impressive, but enthusiasm is contagious. And you talked about like, this is one of your superpowers, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Tell us more about why enthusiasm is such an important part of your life and how that guides you through other things. I feel like anything I have ever built came out of such a sheer notion of that would be so much fun if this existed in the world. I mean, if you look at Tatley, the temporary tattoo company I started, that was literally a joke. Like, I didn't want my daughter to come home with these shitty temporary tattoos that you can buy a party city that cost a buck, they fall off. Like, it's just like, I was like, no. I know so many illustrators and designers And as a joke, I created this e-commerce website and I made these tattoos. And then (laughs) the second day we were in business, the Tate Modern Shop buyer calls me from London and says, how long have you been in business? And this is amazing. You know, and this is, again, the advantage of being a designer. I was able to create, like sort of on weekends and in the evening, a brand that looked so professional that people thought existed for a really long time. And then when I noticed, I guess to me, that was another universe's cheering me on moment. I was like, oh, there's momentum here. There's energy flowing. Because he was asking me for a wholesale catalog. And I remember just hanging up and going, what the heck is a wholesale catalog? What does this mean? Do I need packaging? And then I had no funding. In fact, MailChimp made the first print run happen. Like I just came up with a partnership sponsorship thing. Like we'll put in a bonus tatly if you like, you know, just made things up. But then I realized, oh, how fun would this be if this actually became something and the joke became a bit more serious. And then I just had to find humans who are into the idea and that would for very little money and more for the experience run it. And that's when you can't just sit there and go like, well, it'd be really great for your portfolio or whatever. Like I had to like bulldoze enthusiasm, these young people, and then also roll them into the, they were part of Studio Mates, which was the first version of my co-working space which also was just an enthusiasm tornado of talented people in one room. So I feel like the enthusiasm part is sort of a way of of swooping people up into something to want to be part of it or to at least open up, like to consider something. I mean, you're speaking to design leaders right now, which I think is, you know, really interesting. And I guess my question to you is while you're pumping out the enthusiasm, what else do you do to inspire who you lead and how do you do it? I hope they would say they would agree with this, but what I hope to believe I do is that I keep it real. I'm a very honest, down-to-earth boss. 
we have an extremely heart-centered approach to running our companies. Just to give you an example, one of the things we do in our weekly team meeting is what we call cherries and pits. It's a way for us to align our hearts, what I call, but I would never say it that way because some people would be weirded out by it. But what we do basically is we go around the room and we all share something that was kind of hard this week or like that's the pit or it's kind of a bummer and then something that's a cherry. And it's so funny, like I had my former COO, she came from the corporate world, she was a lawyer. And when she first joined, I remember her seeing her kind of struggle with it. Like, is this semi-professional? Is this professional? What do I share? Is it? And then she very quickly learned, oh no, you can just share anything from your life. It can be super personal, it can be work-related, but it is such a nice thing to, when you see people open up and being really honest about where they are in life and what's great and what's not great. And just the fact that you can show up like that at work, to me is, apparently it's not a given what I keep hearing from other people that join us. And I'm really proud of just a very kind work environment I think we have built. There's a certain strong thread of authenticity there. Do you think that scales? So like when you think about big, giant, mega corporations, do you think that's something they can pull off? I think about this all the time. I deal with a lot of really giant corporations. And I mean, I've seen some grow from very heart-centered and joyful to becoming more corporate, which I think you just need more rules and have a lot of respect for large corporations. But same time, if you look at Creative Mornings, we are 1,500 volunteers. We are 224 hosts that hold the ambassador title in their cities that then organize their own circle of volunteers. Interestingly enough, because of the pandemic, we are closer to our host than we've ever been because we have been able to join their events through the sheer fact that they were on Zoom, right? So it's actually incredibly surprising that even though this was the hardest time of our organization, it was also the most connecting time of our organization. And the one thing that we have always heard even before the pandemic, people that have been to a lot of New York events, but then would visit other events, they go like, Tina, how is this possible? It feels the same. The people show up the same. So to me, there's something to be said that you can grow it, that it can expand. But at the same time, I want to say, if let's say Creative Mornings were to become a large corporation, like just the HQ, would I be able to do that? I don't know. I would hope I can. Having seen so many different events and so many different cultures, are there certain themes or commonalities that you've seen sort of with the creative community globally? I think the people that resonate with our organization just consider themselves creative types, period. And I mean, if you've ever read our manifesto, it starts out with everyone's creative and then ends with everyone's welcome. And that has always been really important to me. I inherently believe everyone is creative. Living is a creative act. And while our events started out very design heavy, because I am a designer, and it was mostly graphic designers in the beginning, and that has really opened up over the years, the people that show up are mostly designers, writers, photographers, and all of that, sort of the typical creative careers. But then there's this big blob that comes and says, I know I'm creative. And we have so many stories of people saying they didn't really dare to come. Like when I get these emails, it makes my heart explode. I didn't really feel like I belong here, but then I kind of, you know, pushed myself and you see the manifesto where it starts out. It's like a little mini prayer, basically, that just says everyone's creative and everyone's welcome. And they say, like, it was that moment where they realized, no, I'm okay. I can be here. And how amazing is this? I mean, for example, my former COO, Catherine, 
She was a lawyer. She was so lost in her career. Like she was like drying up and shriveling up in her job. There were multiple times where the universe was trying to gather to a creative mornings, first in New Zealand and then here. And she always felt like, no, I don't belong there. And then she went and she said, everyone was so friendly. And I walked in, she's like, what is this magical wonderland? And I know I sound like cultish right now, but you got to go. And, uh, what is this magical wonderland? And she sat down and the person next to her was so nice. And then she said, like the manifesto was read and she's like, no, I'm okay here. And then she ended up running the organization with me for four years. And she is the most creative person I know. But isn't that beautiful? So do you think that like we're all sort of born creative and it gets beaten out of us? Yeah. These limiting beliefs of people say, I'm not creative. Well, how do you define creativity? You can't draw a perfect portrait of someone. No, that doesn't, you know. Do you think that's a cultural thing, a parenting thing? Uh, I think it's just gets chiseled away at you. But just imagine a parent consistently saying to you, you're creative. Like you are creative. Of course you are. Imagine if that's what you hear. Yeah. Can we talk about that more? Because I think that a lot of your values and your career choices are very interesting. I'm so curious how your children receive that and how these choices not only serve you, but serve your family. How do they receive that? I have a feeling that my children are very aware that they're the creator of their life, that they can do and create anything they want, and that life is a creative expression. I really do believe that they know that. And I try to be very open with them around following what lights them up. I truly believe that the world needs more people who are lit up. And that has been my guiding principle. I mean, that's the enthusiasm. That's what lights you up. What gets you excited is like where the energy is at. And I, who knows? My son is 12. My daughter is just about turning 16. I truly hope that they're going to be able to trust that inner voice that says, ooh, this feels good. Like if you just apply the rule, follow what makes you feel good, your life changes. Like it really does. And it sounds super selfish, but I dare you, try it for 30 days. (laughs) So we're living in kind of a challenging time, to say the least. Like, what are you excited about now? Like, when you wake up in the morning, you've got obviously your work stuff and your parenting things. But when you look out at the broader scope of things that are happening in the world. I'm so excited. When I wake up, my dog my dog comes up to me and licks my hand and just is so excited that I'm up. Like, I mean, who doesn't want to start out the day like that? I must say it's small things right now that get me excited. I feel like this pandemic was very humbling. I mean... Yesterday I was in the dog park and it was somewhat warm. The sun was rising and the sun was on my skin. And I was just like, this is nice. I feel like we need to learn just to really appreciate the moments. And I know this sounds like gratitude but it's it's true. Also, like I have knock on wood an incredible relationship with my children. We generally like spending time together. I'm so grateful for that. Yeah, it's the small things right now. Hey, Aaron Walter here. Bob, Meredith, and I are so excited by the reception that Reconsidering has received from listeners. Turns out people are really enjoying the show. We're working really hard to bring you conversations from best-selling authors and deep thinkers with insights that can help you find satisfaction in your work and your life. If you found the show meaningful and useful, we have a small ask. We hope that you can help us grow the community by just leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Yes, they now have podcast reviews too. Wherever you listen, 
just search for Reconsidering in the podcast directory and leave us a quick review. This will help others find the show. It's also really helpful for Bob and Meredith and me to get your feedback as it'll help us refine the show. Our sincere, deepest thanks in advance for your support. Now, let's get back to the show. Last two years have been incredibly hard. How would you coach people to be more positive and to take the first steps into becoming more positive? I've been on this journey for a long time. (laughs) And again, I think it comes down to asking yourself over and over, what would make me happy in this moment? Pay attention to little moments of flickers of gratitude, no matter how hard your life is right now. Like almost become an observer of what lights you up. I mean, it can be the smallest things, but then just keep adding, just keep focusing on that. And then focus on the next thing that lights you up. And I keep a thing, what I call, it's a win list. And I write down everything positive or anything that lights me up or anything that just like energized me. And it can be as simple as like, I got a parking spot in front of my door. That is just like, <laughs> that is a but if you revel in those things, or if your coffee is just extra good today, or somebody held the door, I mean, I, I really like go as small, or you just feel good in your body, whatever it is. I really think it's like, we need to trick ourselves into appreciate no matter how small it is, what you can appreciate, or like your plant grew a new leaf, you just go and revel in that. Again, this might be too woo for people. I was like, well, that's not going to do anything for me. But I'm telling you, your outer world is a reflection of your inner world. If you come to a bit more peace inside of you because of that, because of that exercise, your outer world will shift. Well, it's consistent with what you were saying earlier, too, about prototyping things. You know, nobody, nobody starts a big organization. They start small. And so these small wins just kind of build on top of each other and over time can shift your life view. How might we deal with the many problems, the small problems that pile up on us throughout life without getting overwhelmed or discouraged by that? I have two answers to that. First off, I started a to-do app because I have so many things in my head that I needed to get them out. So I think the first thing for me, if I'm in a situation like this, is I need to get it out of paper or out of my app so that I know I will not forget and it's there, but it's out of my head. And then... I also just have to be really honest with myself that there's only so many things I can do. And I had to learn not to beat myself up if I can't get to everything. And I think it comes down to just being really gentle with yourself. And oftentimes I just tell myself when I start stressing out over the things, there's a lot of things on my to-do app that need fixing and doing. You're exactly where you need to be and all in its own time. I think a lot of us just need to be much kinder with ourselves around the idea of positivity and being positive, especially at work with our teams, how do we strike a balance being positive with our teams without that being perceived as sort of Pollyanna-ish and also striking a balance so people can confront the truth of the challenges they face so they can build resilience and move forward? I feel what it comes down to, I hear resilience and it's hard, but I wanna be joyful I feel like it comes down to being really authentic and we always say a creative morning's clear is kind. Don't sugarcoat it. If it's hard, say it. But then at the same time, maybe laugh at how hard it is and go like, can you believe we're dealing with this? I have a thing that I always say, 
let's flip this into something positive. This is a really shitty situation, but is there a way for us to actually flip it on its head? And we'll come out on the other end and it's going to be better. Like, I just feel like keeping it real in the end of the day and then maybe bring some lightness in, in a way to lift the spirit. But toxic positivity is definitely something that when it becomes inauthentic, when you can tell people just sugarcoating, like everything's great. Like you can sense it. Like there's a dissonance between what your body feels and what people say. If you can see someone's body language clearly saying, this is not right, then lean in and say it. Like, hey, I can see you're struggling with this and then just owning it. But then also at the same time, I really feel when people are not on board at all to just say like, all right, this sucks, but let's make the best of it. Then there may be also not the right people in your team. It's a good point. So Tina, this idea of woo and, and kind of bringing your authentic self into the workplace I, mean, I think that probably resonates with a lot of us and with a lot of the people here today, but in a bigger corporate environment, that's maybe going to be a little bit more of a struggle. Have you found techniques to try to open up people who are potentially just operating from a different place and get them to buy into some of that? Yeah, no, I, I think it's actually similar to what I experience first timers that come to a Creative Mornings event when I see their body language of not believing this thing, like they're guarded and they're like, Where's the catch? This is not real. Where am I going to be pitched? And then just the sheer energy of the volunteer smiling at you and handing you a coffee and a croissant and it's everyone's nice. And you can just see them melt. You can see them melt into their chairs and go like, is this for real? And there's an authenticity and a kindness at play that just, I think, resonates with people. Like it almost unlocks something so innate in you that you're like, oh, this is how we should operate as humans. And then they come up to you afterwards and like, how can I participate? How can I help? I need more of this. Like you can literally tell, like they usually come up to me afterwards and go like with their hand on their heart. I was like, I don't even know what happened to me. I feel really good right now. I want more of this. Let me in. And I think it's the same with people that came from very corporate environments. And I had that, that joined our team. But I mean, I make it very clear when I interview as like, listen, you are not just taking a job. You're joining a community. The way I build my office space is like communities within communities. We lunch together. We celebrate and hang out together. I feel like that alone, like if somebody says yes to that after me saying this multiple times, there must be something in them that says like, I'm ready for this, even though maybe their body is not ready for it. But then when you enter, like our team, it's just a nice, it's the stuff we do when we onboard people, the way we show up, the way we make you feel welcome. Just for example, when you start with us the first day, your inbox is filled with these warm welcome messages with stories about things I wish I would have known when I started working here or things I've learned when I worked here. Like there's just so much humanness and kindness in there. I mean, that wave, if you don't melt into it and trust it, then there's no hope for you. But then we have tools, for example, one of the things that I'm really proud of that we've instituted is what we call, I'm holding my vulnerability bear as a teddy bear. We had an offsite and we usually do this where we rent a house and we sit around the fire and we talk about, you know, the future year of the year past. And I want to keep it real. I want people to tell me what worked, what didn't work. And so in order to really make people feel safe and that they can say what's on their heart and maybe say something that might be controversial, we wanted to create a visual sort of a visual representation of somebody's about to say something that they're nervous about. So we had the silly teddy bear on the table. And whenever somebody would sort of grab it and kind of pull it towards them or hold it, 
That's all they had to do. And we knew we had to really lean in and listen gently. Even though we did this in real life, it's now like the bear emoji is used all the time on our Slack. And just starting out with the bear means I'm a little nervous about telling you this right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I tell you, it's like little tools like this can change how you show up in a work environment. So we like to close all our shows with a standard question. And it's a little bit of a reverse mentoring question. So I want you to try to conjure up 24-year-old Tina, recently moved to New York. What would that Tina say to this Tina? She would say, don't let the adulting experiences weigh you down. Keep your youthful spirit. Keep believing in your dreams. Remember how I'm feeling right now. Remember this like invincibility. When I came to New York, there was not a doubt in my mind that I wouldn't find an internship within days. That expectation is such a secret to life. The no doubt and expecting good things to happen that's like the ultimate weapon in life. And I think there have been moments in my life where I wavered and I lost it, but I'm back. So I think younger Tina would say, like, just don't forget that. That's great. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for having yeah, me. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Well, I think the first thing we should call out here is that this was the first time the three of us had been together while doing this podcast. And I think that's pretty exciting that we were all in the same room. We had our guest in the room. We weren't just looking at squares and boxes on laptops. We were three-dimensional human beings having a conversation with another three-dimensional human being, a guest on Reconsidering. That is pretty unique. Yeah. For listeners who don't know this, we're located in various places. I'm in Athens, Georgia on the East Coast, and Bob and Meredith are in California in different locations. So when we record every episode, every episode you hear, we're in different parts of the world. But not this time. We were in New York City together. Yeah, we were at the leading design conference. With Tina and about probably a dozen, maybe 20 people yeah. watching. So it was definitely different having an audience. Yeah, it was yeah. it was really different. And what an amazing guest. First guest to have in person, Tina Roth-Eisenberg. I mean, you couldn't get any better than that. She really captivated the audience. True to her name, man. Captain Enthusiasm. She was there. You know, the one thing that I really took away from our conversation with her is that Tina just has this force of nature where she just wants to go do things for the betterment of the world and the betterment of herself. And she doesn't hesitate at all. She just goes and tries things out and explores and accepts that, you know, there are going to be moments in time where you're going to fail. And I think that's just so important to keep bringing up over and over again is that it's okay to fail, but you don't know until you try. And she's definitely tried a bunch of different things and succeeded. There's a couple things that she does. There's this confidence that she has, or you could call it just like that enthusiasm. She's enthusiastic to try something and she gives herself permission to give it a shot. And that enthusiasm will actually push through a lot of difficulties. But she did share with us some things that didn't always go well. And I liked some of her coping mechanisms that she shared with us of how she 
keeps herself in a positive frame of mind. She talked about her win list Mm -hmm. where she just creates a list of like, this is what was great today. Like what I did effectively or what went right. Hear a lot of people talk about gratitude journaling. This seems like maybe it's loosely related. I kind of struggle with the gratitude journal situation. It doesn't always work out for me, but a win list, there's probably something I could identify even on a bad day where, you know, this was a win. Yeah, she talked about that pits and cherries exercise she does with her team. That was one of the notes I took that I thought was really powerful. You know, it's really balancing those two things. And I, I'd kind of question whether or not she thinks of these things as failure. You mentioned a second ago, Meredith, she's not afraid to fail. Like, I don't think she really thinks about it that way. You know, if you really have an open mind about trying stuff, like failure is not really, I don't know, it's just kind of a moment in time. I don't, I don't even know how to think about that. Well, and what is failure? Yeah, what is success? Like, you're just yeah. doing stuff. One of the notes I took that really, you know, has really resonated with me because it was consistent with some of the stuff Brad Stolberg said as well. You know, like Brad was very focused on don't wait for the muse, just start doing something and your action will create your mood. And she had this thing about your outer reality is representative of your inner life. It's the same thing where I feel like she doesn't really matter how she feels about something. She's just going to start doing it. And it's because she's in the habit of doing it and she has that momentum. It's easy just to keep going or it's easier to just keep going. You know, she also has this thing about, you know, the best way to complain is to create. So if she sees something in the world that she doesn't like, she just tries to go do something better. It's incredibly empowering. Yeah. I also like what she said about being very intentional. And I liked the story she had about wanting to meet her neighbors and how she'd just go sit on her (laughs) stoop, you know, and just kind of hope that they'd walk by. She's not waiting for something to happen to her, right? She's going out and making things happen on her own, which... I think is a really good reminder for all of us that you can't get what you want unless you try to go get it, right? Well, she had that line too about people are inherently lonely. You know, they just want to be connected and invited. I think where some of us might feel like, oh, I don't want to stalk my neighbors and go out there. You know, in some ways, I think she can flip that and say, no, they actually want to meet me. They just don't maybe realize it yet, which is part of, I think, what we took away from being at Leading Design as well. Like, we were on stage. We got to share a little bit of the story of the podcast, how we came together to make it. And then we had some amazing interactions right after we came off stage. People coming up and maybe they had heard the show, maybe they hadn't, but the message really resonated with them. And I think they were, you know, all of us in that space together again, we're just really looking for that human connection. And in some ways, at least for me, I've kind of gotten, I think I'd lost track of how important that was because I've gotten in a routine of being at home and you kind of gotten used to the monochromatic nature of this existence and being back in Manhattan on St. Patrick's Day, actually, you know, when there was a lot of people out on the street, there was a lot of excitement. And then around design colleagues and industry people that some of whom you knew, some of whom you'd heard from, it was like, oh my God, I forgot like how powerful and meaningful just being in 3D space with people can really be. Yeah, really cherish the moments. Which brings back a point from... Tina, how community is so central to her existence, how she's so consciously cultivated community on small scale and large scale, you know, with Creative Mornings, for example, is it's a massive organization. And for listeners who maybe don't know much about Creative Mornings or you're, you're curious to learn more, check out creativemornings.com. Wherever you are in the world, chances are there is a Creative Mornings within reach, you know, a short drive that you could get to, to attend. Going to a place like that, there is a sense of just inviting a welcoming spirit and curiosity. And to use Tina's phrase, people are lit up 
people are lit up and they're excited to be together. They're excited to talk about learning new things and making themselves better and being creative. And regardless of what sort of discipline or background you have, I think it's something that it's going to connect with most people. Well, I think the cool thing too is that you don't necessarily have to think of yourself as a creative to go to a creative mornings. Yeah. I think a lot of people go because they're really curious and want to understand what creativity means and they're interested in the topics and the subjects that they bring. So it really is for everyone. It's not just for the creative or the designer, which I think is important to call out. We got to kind of stop that segmentation there. There are no creatives. There are just human beings. And there are some people who happen to make their livelihood doing, you know, selling their creativity, but the everybody, everybody is creative. Yeah. Community though, that's something that's a big takeaway for me is how do I consciously, very intentionally cultivate more community in my life on small scale with close connections with friends and then on a larger scale to feel part of something larger. For me, I think it's really important because I've definitely looked up to Tina over the years and I really admire what she's doing with Creative Mornings. And I've tried to model, you know, a very similar practice with what I'm doing with Design Ops Assembly. And, you know, it was kind of reaffirming for me to know that I personally feel like I'm going in the right direction again, you know, and that like I knew that there was something there with building a community and she just kind of inspired me to keep going, even though it's not the easiest or it's not the most, you know, glorifying thing on a daily basis. But if you keep going, the rewards are going to be great. And so I don't know, that was a big takeaway for me is just to keep doing what you love. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think probably my biggest takeaway was just trying to adopt this mindset shift where I think many of us go through a big chunk of our life thinking that when we reach out to people and try to connect, we're imposing on them. We're asking something of them because we're trying to connect. And as we've seen in the show with many of our guests, and as we saw last week with the conference, like people want to connect. You're not imposing by reaching out. You're doing them a favor. And if they don't want to connect, like, fine, it's not that big an imposition. They just say no, and that's it. You move on. And if you can just have that mindset switch in your own head from thinking you're imposing to thinking you're doing them a favor and helping, you can just lead to a much brighter life for you and for each other. It's I know that was that was the thing that really struck me about Tina is she just had this completely different mindset about what it meant to reach out and connect with others. So this live episode was a bit of an experiment for us, and I'm very curious to hear what listeners have to say about doing these live episodes. It's something we'd like to do more of. So if you do have feedback, just shoot us an email. We'd always love to hear from listeners. Hello at reconsidering.org. Let us know what you think. Reconsidering is created by Aaron Walter, Bob Baxley, and me, Meredith Black, with editing help from Brian Paik of Pacific Audio. Original music for the show was written and performed by Kimo Meraki. You'll find a full transcript of this episode and all the links mentioned at reconsidering.org. If you've enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player to catch future episodes and discover the treasures of the Reconsidering Library. To support the show, we'd be ever so grateful if you'd leave a review on Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Your review will help others discover the show. And life, like the seasons, is ever-changing, but satisfaction can be found every day when we tune in. Until next time.